Hi, and welcome to today's episode of Scalescape. I'm your host, Justin Chu. It is my pleasure to have Felix Wong from Angel Hub Hong Kong on the podcast today. He is an entrepreneur, a community builder, and most importantly, a growth hacker. And today, he's going to give us some tips on growth hacking and creative marketing. Enjoy! Felix, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. I'm super excited to get this started ever since our fireside chat a couple of weeks ago. So once again, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's kick things off. Um, as head of growth at Angel Hub, could you tell us more about what exactly your job scope entails and why is it important? Sounds great. Good question. So uh, as you mentioned, so I'm currently leading up growth um, at Angel Hub which is the first and the only so far equity crowd investment platform registered in Hong Kong. We're investing uh, early stage startups worldwide. My role as a head of growth includes sourcing the best companies, working with promising venture capitalists, accelerators, looking for uh, partnerships initiatives across Asia. Um, at the same time, I also oversee the full digital footprint within the company, ranging from social media, analytics, pay campaigns. Sometimes we do affiliations with other partners, we host events. So my major objectives around all these things is get more intentions, get more users, get signups uh, to be invested. Yeah, and you touched a little bit about growth there, right? And we know growth is a mix of different skill sets and technologies combined with creative marketing. Could you elaborate more about the concept of growth hacks and maybe some examples of, of what they are? I think growth hacks have uh, been coined around 15 or maybe 20 years ago from some Silicon Valley by the growth hacking godfather Song Alice, which is also the author of Hacking Growth. So um, I usually put it in this way. I still consider growth, growth hacking, whatever, maybe growth marketing as well. It's just a buzzword. And um, when we talk about growth, it's all about how you manipulate and combine the mindset of data-driven decisions, creative marketing, how you automate tools, and how you combine all these terminologies into actions. So in short, we are expecting uh, people with growth mindsets able to understand metrics, combine metrics into actions, and in order to deliver values to both customers as well as your company. Yep, it's really about understanding metrics to drive value into the company and to the customers, right? So on that point, right, local growth is similar but also different to international growth in so many ways. And there are different strategies for a company to expand locally in Hong Kong, for example, uh, versus across the APAC region or the greater China region, right? So what are your approaches to both and sort of what are your thoughts? I think uh, for companies at all size, you can uh, start doing growth initiative anytime. And it just uh, happened to, you need to consider uh, where's your market, who's your personas, and how you can deliver your product successfully. And I think there's nothing wrong regarding uh, the geographic locations and the resources you have. You can always be creative and make use of uh, your existing resources and time as well as people. I would say I'm still uh, in my learning process compared with uh, seasoned growth hackers out there. Uh, but my experience allowed me to do a lot of experiments in the past uh, in terms of growing company geographically in greater China to Taiwan. Sometimes I have to uh, manage 
products across small neighborhoods. So it really depends on the, the situations and scenarios, and you need to use different channels, tools, automations, uh, actively uh, seeking advice from customers and people. So I think at the end, and and end to end, you everything I mentioned just now is all about um, how you combine different pieces in in one place. Yep, I think you're right. I think. Growth doesn't have sort of a geographical boundaries or or a temporal boundary as well. I think if you want to start any kind of growth initiative anytime, I think you know that's perfectly fine. And of course, you know the earlier you do, uh, the better the outcomes, right? Be it locally or globally, however, COVID has really shaped and changed our perception of contact, right? And we see contactless engagement at its peak right now. But the best innovators and disruptors are also the best at adapting to change. How has the pandemic shaped your thoughts on growth and marketing? And to be honest, has it really changed at all? Really good questions. I think for me personally, I get used to working remotely and I get used to how to stay productive. Um, I spent uh, three years working for tech stores and previous startups in the past and the endowment back then allowed me to basically work anywhere I can, uh, either at home, flights, hotel, or sometimes near a beach. So I think my times in the past uh, trained up myself to be disciplined, as well as making resources where I can communicate and manage expectations with my teammates worldwide. While when we look at uh, the, the pandemic, COVID, has been, I would say it's been almost um, six months already. Honest speaking, a lot of customer behavior, industry behavior changed a lot. And uh, I think the major impact is always people. Some industries, some people, they are not um, ready and prepared to, to work remotely or maybe um, ready, get ready to, uh, to influence by the market. So I think you can see some industries are forced to pivot. Some industries are forced to layoffs. It happens. It's been a loss of pandemics in the past, actually, like SARS, economic downturn and all that. So I think um, that the, this pandemic didn't change myself much, but I do see um, my, my peer, my, my customers, and also my community, a lot of people are being impacted. Right, right. And, you know, things are looking better. Things are getting brighter uh, as we're looking towards some sort of normalcy and stability in quarter four of 2020 and quarter one of 2021. Right. What are some strategies that are important for founders to kick things off and to get back into the swing of things? Good questions. I'm not sure if I have a good answer, but I will try to put it in this way. I am a big believer of um, the Airbnb philosophy, although I'm not um, an active user, but I've been following their journey, their stories, blogs, and I've read their books as well. So I learned two things from Brian Chesky first, uh, also uh, written by uh, one of the Airbnb storybook. Um, so when, when they started Airbnb, the first 300 employees uh, were employed by the co-founders, meaning that not until the 301st employee, they don't have any human resources department and hiring managers. And the reason is pretty simple because founders want to maintain the culture and acquire like-minded people into the company. Um, if we look at fast-growing startups, 300 employees is still a startup. 
So I think their mission is to uh, maintain the cultures, make sure people share the same mindsets. And I think this is something um, other founders can also incorporate uh, to make sure you have like-minded people around you, share the same beliefs and visions. Um, secondly, uh, what I learned from him in his recent layoffs, uh, public like open letter, he mentions when, when travels come, things might change. And I think this is something where we can uh, replicate in any other industry as well. Logistics, F&B, hotels, fintech, entertainment, drones, etc. So I think one of the big missions of the founder is make sure you um, uh, remain your federal proposition and change, but to get ready of uh, many different uh, external pressures from, from the market, from your customers, because startups need to change, market might change as well. So as a founder, you need to adopt a super fast pace. Things might change all the time. People change and there's a change and the market change. And if your customers not succeed, you won't succeed. So I think um, this mindset is really important. I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, like, you, you know, you, you're saying adaptability to change is fundamental to success. I really couldn't agree more, Felix. Um, you did bring up Airbnb, though. So I guess we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, I'm sure you know, you know, their little story about them and their competitors, Wimdu, right? And actually, Airbnb's aggressive market expansion and growth into Europe ultimately dominated the global market, right? And basically trampled all over Wimdu. And the point that I'm trying to get at is what are the key ingredients behind growth? And how exactly can you drive this kind of exponential growth? Wow, interesting. So um, I usually separate my... Um day-to-day tasks in this way. Uh, there's a playbook in growth. A lot of growth marketers might follow, which is the, the funnel approach, all the way from how we create awareness for a product or a brand, attract customers, activate your users, and keep ensuring your customer come back and uh, figure out if there's a way your existing customers can bring your story outside and eventually convert all these people into paying users and we call this growth funnel. So I separate my, my day-to-day and weekly tasks in this way. Maybe for example, on Monday, I look at how to create awareness for, for my company. On Tuesday, I look at how I can uh, activate my users, for example. So I think um, separating this segment and make sure you identify a success metrics to measure every single activity for your marketing uh, approach, uh, product improvement, uh, new experiments would be really crucial. So you need to understand what a success looks like and how do you celebrate failure as well? Because um, when we look at growth, we are not just talking about growth, but we also celebrate how we, how, why a products couldn't get a ch- attention. Once we understand, we can quickly switch from point A to point B, try other experiments, use other tools, etc. Secondly, I am a big believer of, of SaaS products and um, uh, small applications. So I, I tried out new applications almost every day. I review product hunts every week because I want to uh, enrich how my uh, marketing um, resources uh, looks like. So I separate my two box into a six segment. Social media, events marketing, email marketing, search, content, and last but not least, analytics. And I believe these six major pillars, when you combine, you can basically 
uh, transfer and replicate to almost uh, every industry. They need emails, they need communications, they need to measure success. So I have a toolbox with over um, 30 tools where I use on a daily basis to measure success, try and communicate with my team. Right, right. And, you know, embracing failure to switch priorities. I think I think that's important. I think it's fundamental to success. You know, you're always changing. You're always validating your ideas, right? And, and you, sometimes you really do need to pivot. And pivoting happens when you're adjusting the core product to better fit the market. And, you know, to be very honest, it can be super difficult when you have this really awesome idea, but, you know, you're finding that you're hitting walls and, you know, you don't really want to change, right? But So how, how do you think founders can better navigate this and be more open to change? I think first of all, it's really hard to define what does awesome ideas actually means. And when we talk about ideas, we often say ideas are cheap. The only thing what makes a company or a team valuable is uh, the executions, your people, and how you prioritize um, leveraging your, your resources around the idea. Because once you initiate ideas, Everything you put on paper will be immediately outdated, not until you execute. So I would rather uh, spend my time to talk to customers, discover how the behavior change, how they spend, uh, whether there's alternatives out there. And when you collect all these informations, you are able to put into your existing product and figure out a new approach, maybe extend a new product line, maybe um, uh, implement your product in uh, outside of your region, for example. So I think uh, the term pivot is still um, really weak at some point, and it really depending on scenarios. And when we talk about pivot, you don't have to change your, comp- your, your product completely. It could be just a small fix. It could be just uh, the language, the, how you measure it, or maybe uh, the distribution channels. Right. Yeah. And, you know, this this concept of, of how pivoting really doesn't stop, you know, no matter where you are in that uh, stage spectrum, you know, you're always constantly seeking out, testing, validating new ideas. And, you know, this speaks to the importance of uh, pivoting, you know, especially right now in the COVID period. I think that's really uh, shown through the kinds of uh, partnerships that even unicorn companies in Hong Kong, for example, Lala Move, has been able to strike up, uh, you know, to better engage the community. I think these are very important uh, spaces to be able to pivot in. You did mention that you're a huge fan of software as a service, and I think uh, the intrinsic strengths of software and the scalability of software has really, you know, been able to captivate your attention. Uh, could you dive into a little bit more on your thoughts on on how? Uh, software as a service is really inherently strong and, and scalable right now. So um, I am currently in more like a service-based uh, position. So um, the way we scale our company and products require a lot of um, communications with our stakeholders. Uh, we uh, rely on a lot of uh, human partnerships, events, and when, we, when you look at communications, events, and partnerships, this is something scalable, but not able to scale fast because uh, people have different priorities. You have the ways, there's back and forth, and uh, you can't organize events every day, right? And you cannot expect your customers to come back to you every second. So with these constraints, um, there's almost certain 
um, a service space or, or B2B driven companies require way more resources and patience to grow. So I think we, we tend to spend our resources to do more customizations, tailor made our conversations and make sure we target the right people. Um, with that, we can scale faster and scale in the right positions. Now, when we look at SaaS products, I think what makes SaaS different than any other businesses is they manage to figure a way to um, sell their products automatically, where you can open an account, subscribe, try for a certain period. If you like it, you continue your subscriptions. If you don't, maybe you'll consider later or you unsubscribe. So companies like uh, Notion, Airtable, or maybe Spotify as well, they manage to identify a really simple needs uh, or maybe behaviors where a lot of populations in multiple geographic locations share the same. So when you have this scale and mass of uh, populations, you can do a lot of things, experiments and all that, and you can also leverage your existing users and convert them into community ambassadors, and they will sell your product by what they do online. Um, they are more likely to tell their friends. You, they can also experience um, uh, the beauty of SaaS products solving their problems immediately. So I think to conclude, I would compare SaaS and service-based product in this way. Service-based products, yes, we are solving problems, but we don't often see um, the, the solutions and the, the reliefers uh, instantly. But when we look at SaaS products, you can see the release way more faster than service-based products. So that's why uh, you can see a lot of high-growing uh, unicorns uh, uh, SaaS space as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, that's why maybe you decided to found Cloudbreaker a couple of years back, you know, for and for those of you that don't know, uh, Cloudbreaker was a company that Felix co-founded along with a couple people, uh, which provides intelligent influencer matching for companies and their marketing strategies. I'm just curious, uh, why did you think that there was a market for this? First of all, when we co-founded a company five years ago, uh, influencer marketing has been already super popular in, in Europe and the state already a lot of big startups and some startups even managed to got listed in NASDAQ. While in Asia, influencer marketing is it's been there for a while, a lot of bloggers, a lot of um, key opinion leaders on social media, but we don't seem to see companies trying to combine intelligence and also data availables into insight to help uh, marketers, agencies, and brands better approach into uh, influencer marketing. And uh, when we did a couple um, validation survey with um, uh, our potential customers, we realized there's a need. So that's why we combine our skill sets with a few co-founders in marketing, business development, and myself originally from, from data science backgrounds. And we combine everything in one place and we just launched the company. Um, we get to know each other from hackathon and then eventually we got selected for a later stage and soon we uh, bootstrap and take off the company and we start seeing uh, real customers buying our solution or, or try our solution so i was like let's um, resign my full-time job and uh, all in and then we all um, uh, devoted our time to, to the startups 
So I've been, been, I've been spending, spending my time with the company for, for a year and I learned a lot how to navigate the relationships with influencers. We literally um, send messages to uh, influencers on Instagram and ask for a coffee face-to-face. Yeah, no, I, I think that's amazing. You know, I'm curious how your interactions with these influencers were like, but that's a conversation for another time. Uh, you said that the timing of your launch coincided with the rise of Instagram and Facebook influencers and all and that kind of stuff. So, you know, what are your thoughts on timing as a factor in product market fit and, and go to market? It's really important. But at the same time, uh, for even though for uh, for me, I've been running startups for several years, I don't seem to see an easy way to measure the success between product market product market fit versus timing. But I think this is something where any entrepreneurs can do by reading every day, uh, keep yourself updated in the market, and try to um, predict from how other uh, startups or products being uh, emerged from other regions. So uh, for me, I read um, Crunchbase, uh, Product Hunt's, um, similar work, these type of platforms every day, just to keep myself updated and see if there's, in- if there's any interesting startups I should pay more attention. So I think uh, by reading all these uh, you know, news articles on a regular basis, you can um, educate yourself how to catch the time and build something at the right time for the right people. Yep, right time for the right people. And I think founders can better position themselves uh, for success if they're constantly keeping track of and being informed of, you know, technological trends, market trends, and adoption trends, you know. Um, couldn't agree more, Felix. Great points. I do want to end things by asking you, uh, you know, because there's so much marketing technology available in the startup ecosystem right now, uh, everything from SEO and keywords to content marketing. What are the top three tools in your growth marketing toolbox right now? I think my top three tools are not marketing related directly, but instead, some productivity-oriented tools that allows me and my team to work efficiently and if more effective. And um, my first tools close to uh, to doers. So it's basically I um, include all my personal business and passion projects tasks into to doers to automate my uh, performance. Secondly, I uh, use a lot of Airtable to curate database, customize CRM, and sometimes I integrate with other marketing solutions to make our life easier, such as HubSpot, Sapir, and all that. And third, my uh, favorite uh, resource and platform goes to LinkedIn. And I think people might compare LinkedIn with other social media channels. But I would say uh, LinkedIn is also a good platform for either B2C or B2B SaaS uh, service-based uh, businesses, either individualists or on behalf of a company. And I think people, uh, there's more and more users up in LinkedIn nowadays, and you can see high quality content companies, they distribute their products, they make announcements, and they even do live stream on LinkedIn. So I think it's kind of like a hybrid platform of business, marketing, and relationship building. 
What a way to wrap up our podcast today. Thank you so much, Felix, for giving us such invaluable insight and actionable strategies. That was so much value add for our community and I'm looking forward to talking to you again. So thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Scalescape today with Felix. If you would like to engage with the content of the podcast more, check out medium.com slash at Scalescape for show notes and resources. That's medium.com slash at Scalescape. I'll see you next week.